You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series called A Beacon of Light, a case study of Hezekiah. So I'm believing God's going to speak to you tonight as we continue this series looking at a king, Hezekiah, through the Old Testament in Chronicles is where we'll be tonight, Chronicles 29 and 30. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. You're going to need a Bible tonight, or you're going to have to hear me read a lot of words that I don't know how to pronounce. But either way, it's going to be a great time because we're going to get the context. And one of my goals is always to give you God's word where you understand it simply and apply it to your life. And so I'm glad that you're here with us studying, that we can read scripture. And uh, let me give you just a quick synopsis of who this king is before we jump more in context of this series. We're trying to take one step at a time and really do layers, really do layers of this king. He was a unique king that was a ruler in Judah. And um, he followed God in a very dark time, in a dark culture, in dark history. Uh, It was very dark, and he was a light to the nations and to us today. Now, we looked at 2 Kings 18 last week. Jason looked at that as how Hezekiah worshiped the Lord, made it his priority as a leader. And in verse 5 of 2 Kings, it says that Hezekiah, he trusted the Lord the God of Israel, so that there was none like him in the kingdom of Judah, nor among those who were before him. He was a unique, special character, which is important for us because as we look at these attributes that he does, we actually see him as an example, one that says, okay, do it like him because he trusted God. We can follow that example. There was no one like him before or after. And so we can learn a lot from this king. And we see that tons of scripture actually highlights this character, Hezekiah. That's why we have reading plans in the back where we're reading different sections not to miss all that God wants to say through this character. And 2 Kings and Chronicles, 2 Chronicles are the two sort of main um, texts that Hezekiah lived in and we're sort of focusing on. And so this week in Chronicles, we'll go back to Kings. We'll do some in Isaiah. A couple of prophets that were alive at Hezekiah's time was Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah. That didn't rhyme. I would have, I would have been awesome though, right? It's like when you read that the Old Testament, you're like Amorites, Samarites, Pamorites, and you just keep on going ites and it's their people. These are real life people, but oftentimes we don't really think about that because they're like over here in the Bible and then it's over here. And what I'm trying to do is to go slowly so you see the context of scripture. And this takes work and it takes time, but it's important. And so we have these uh, kings that basically are from the nation of Israel, 250 years, Solomon's sons split the nation. And so 10 tribes went with Israel, two and a half tribes tribes went to Judah. And so you have these characters and these kings, and how does it make sense? And you can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 10 and 11. And you see the example of what it looks like to be a good king and to be a bad king, and all these different things. And now the Bible is saying, look to Hezekiah, why? Because he trusted the Lord. Now, you may not be a king, and you may not be in the Old Testament, even with that covenant, but you can trust the Lord. And so there is fruit for us today, right now in our context, to say, how did he trust the Lord? What does that look like? What, what does the Bible exhort us to do? And so we've been taking different characteristics of Hezekiah and focusing on it on the sermons as we study sections of Scripture about his life. Tonight, we're going to talk about Hezekiah's leadership. Hezekiah's leadership. Now, it's commonly said when you talk about leadership, uh, man, leadership, uh, 
organizations, people rise and fall on leadership. It is a super important thing. And I love leadership, thinking about leadership, not only as I lead the church, but lead my family, lead in, in work situations. I mean, when you boil down leadership, it really means to influence, that there is someone going ahead of you and there's followers. So leadership is important because it affects many people's lives. And his life affected this whole nation. And we see that not only his life, but when a bad king came in, it affected the whole nation. You can lead well, and you can lead bad. And this is why sometimes Satan targets godly leaders to take them out, because if they could take out a godly leader, they'll take out the followers and people that are following that godly leader, because leadership matters, and God wants to use leaders in his kingdom. He uses people like me and you to influence. But this saying, everything rises and falls by leaders, is sort of a false saying. It's something in the leadership world that goes around and, oh, it's an organization, it's all about leaders. We as Christians say it's not, that's true, but it's false. It's false because everything does not rise and fall with you and I, everything rises and falls with God, amen? amen? But yet it is about leadership because guess what? Jesus is the greatest leader we can ever follow, right? And I hope that you are a follower of Christ. And leadership does matter. And it is important to say, okay, how does Jesus lead and how did his people lead to actually lovingly lead people to glorify God? You see, God is sovereign and he is the greatest leader that we can follow with our lives. And he will accomplish his plans no matter what. You cannot thwart his plans. But he uses people to accomplish his plans. So much so that even when we have bad kings... We go to God and look to him as the greater leader. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God can control people. He could make people go left and right, and he can have his plan and influence the nations, the countries, the families, the problems that you and I have. But with leadership being so popular and in conversation, we get these cliches, and they sound really good, but then we dig deeper and they're like, wait, is that biblical? Is it not? And so it's important for us to go to God's word and say, what does godly leadership look like? Well, let's look at Hezekiah because he trusted the Lord. And it pleases God when we trust him, when we obey him. And so maybe we can lean on some principles from Hezekiah to go in, learn about leadership. Because you see, leadership is a good thing. It's just not a God thing. We have to understand the Bible says a lot about leadership. God set up leadership and tells us to obey our leaders. Romans chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. God set up leaders in the church, not only government leaders, but in the church, Ephesians chapter 4, and he gives them qualifications so that we would be able to see who should be in leadership, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Not everyone is or should be a leader. The Bible says it's actually a spiritual gift. It's not just a natural gift, but it's also a spiritual gift, and there are requirements, like Titus 1 says, or the spiritual gift mentioned in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. You see, the Bible says a lot about leadership, and it's not just a trend that we're going to the world to learn about. We're actually seeing this played out in a real person's life and make an influence in real people. And so this is why we go and we talk about these things, because God wants to use leaders to accomplish his will, and he wants to use people like you and I to lead in the church, to influence the kingdom, and to, man, make an impact in our life right now. And just as Hezekiah made an impact, you can make an impact. And you may not be a king of a nation, 
But God wants you to influence people, to love people, to serve people, to advance. And if he has given you more responsibility than just leading your family or leading in an organization or in a church or wherever you may have influence, it's okay to say, God, what do I do with the gift and the responsibility you give me? And these are good, important questions, whether it be with leadership or maybe you have extra time or maybe God's gifted you in other areas. We always want to worship him with the, the grace that he's given us. And so leadership is a grace that he uses through the means of people to bless people. And this is why Jesus told his disciples and taught on leadership, but it was totally different what the world says. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, Jesus says to them, his disciples, and called them over and was teaching this principle and wanted them to get this because the world is talking about it. It does make a difference, but he wanted to understand how this principle of leadership works in the kingdom of God and his example and his life to emulate him. He says, you know those that have, who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. You know how they have that influence and they're leading and they abuse it and they rule it and do it over you, but it shall not be so among you. When you lead in my church, when you follow God, you don't take advantage of people, use your influence people to serve but whoever would be great among you, he says, you must, be your, he, uh, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Isn't this the type of leader that we want to follow? Someone that will bless us as we follow them? And Jesus says, a leader... Like this is found in me. I am an example. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And we should look at these godly examples and the person of Jesus and how the word of God exalts other people to say, hey, you can follow the Lord's example of what it looks like to use a gift like leadership to serve people. And so we want to love and bless, serve. And, and this is the type of leadership we see in Hezekiah. We see this old story in East Middle East that is unfamiliar to us in the context but yet it's such a need because a lot of things do really rise and fall by leadership. It does make a difference. So much so there's spiritual warfare on it. There's the Bible talks about it. There's grace. There's all different things. So what I want to do is this. I want to read through 2 Chronicles 29 and 30 because this is the details of what things we've covered as Hezekiah worshiped, we've talked about. But what I want to do is I want to look through the lens of godly leadership and what some principles are for us to view at and see. And there are two sort of views that you could look at through this text. One is we could learn as a leader. What does the Bible say about leadership? And if you have a position of leadership in your home, in your workplace, in the church, wherever it may be, if you aspire to be a leader, these are some godly reminders for you to see, wow, this is how Hezekiah led. As he was worshiping, as he was removing these idols and temples and in the temple and restoring things and, and starting his reign. So there's that aspect, but I think there's also another aspect. You could learn as a follower in this situation. Because maybe you aren't necessarily a leader or a king or have a great responsibility. But the Bible says that there are leaders and followers and they have a part to play. And you should be looking and submitting to these type of leaders in the church, in the workplace, in your home, in your family. You should say, wow, I want to follow someone who has these attributes. I want to pray for the leadership here that they would have these attributes. And so we want to look at these principles from this text to help us, whether we're in a leadership position or not, leadership influences and affects all of us. Amen?
Let's do it. It's going to be a lot of reading. Forgive me in advance because this is small type and I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) Chapter 29, verse 1 through 10. The first thing we see Hezekiah do is prioritize God and following God. Uh, What made Hezekiah a great leader is that he followed God and he rallied others to do the same. And the first leadership principle we need to understand and look at and highlight, we've mentioned this as a certain Bible study last week about how Hezekiah uh, worshiped, but godly leaders must worship God. Number one, everything we're, we're talking about, we already had a Bible study on, we're just digging deeper now. But this has to be a priority. And this is what we see in verses one through 10. The details of why Hezekiah is such a good leader. Hezekiah began the reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, his mother named Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. Remember, David was that, that godly king, that benchmark. It was in the bloodline, so that was a standard. And now the details come, verses 3 through 10, and it was in the first year, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3, of his reign, and it was in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priest and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart. Consecrate the house of the Lord and the God of your fathers and carry out the filth from the holy place. What was those filth, those idols? He wanted to remove those things. For our fathers have been unfaithful. Meaning God told them the right way to do and they sinned. They were not walking in the ways of God and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule, which is like a lobby or an outside area of the sanctuary, and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered offered burnt offerings in the holy place to God. That was their sign to do burnt offerings and incense and please God with sacrifice, how he told them to worship. And therefore, verse 8, because they did not do all this and turned their back from God, the wrath of the Lord came to Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of admonishment, of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. This last week during the weekly devotions, I talked about the importance of removing idols that they were worshiping God and uh, false gods, idols, and it, it was a sin. Verse 9 says, For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. There's consequences for our sins. Now, verse 10, he says, It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. It is said that great leaders are first great followers. And what Hezekiah is doing in his first month is following God. He's making sacrifices and worshiping the Lord, not necessarily through song, but through a life and removing idols. And this verse 10 is a commitment that he says to the Lord. He says, it is in my heart. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. There is a commitment that we can make. And it was in his heart to make a covenant with the Lord, this commitment, the God of Israel. And he did this as a priority because verse three in the details, it starts off and says, it's the first year in the first month he started to act and to follow God. And so the last two weeks, we looked at how has Hezekiah worshiped God despite his situation. 
Despite Ahaz, his evil father in the wicked generation, he didn't let the culture dictate if he can worship. And this is how he would worship. And this is what would make him a godly leader. So Hezekiah starts with removing idols, restoring the temple of the Lord, obeying God. But he not only follows God, he points other people, his followers, people he's responsible to do the same. And so we look at those details, but that's sort of the context where we're at. In verse 11 through 19, we see Hezekiah wasn't alone in his worship unto the Lord. He had a great team around him. And so first is Hezekiah, what made him a godly leader is he worshiped God. But the second thing is godly leaders are a part of a team. And Hezekiah had more people in his kingdom that were following God, a part of a team to do this work, to clean the house of the Lord, to remove the idols. He wasn't doing it all alone. He says, my son, in verse 11, do not, do not now neglect, uh, be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. He's speaking to people. He says, listen, this has involved you. When you worship, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your family, your community, the nations. And he's telling them there's a part for you all to play. Then the Levites arose, and in verse 12 through 15, there's a, or 12 through 14, there's all these names of Levites and the, the heritage and who they are from Zechariah to Kish to um, all these other names that I can't pronounce. But jump to 15, and it says they gathered their brothers, and what did they do? Again, and they consecrated themselves and went as the king had commanded. They said, okay, I'm going I'm to set my side to do this purpose with the king. By the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And it wasn't just the Levites, because in verse 16, it continues and says, now the priest, because there's the people of Levites, but there's also the people that are in the situation to serve in the house. The priest went into the inner parts of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And they brought out all the uncleansiness that they had found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook of Kinron. They're throwing these idols away into the river. They're cleaning things out. They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord, that lobby, that outside place. It took a long time to clean and get stuff out of there that was wrong. Just a little side note. Some of us, sometimes we, we want sanctification to be a lot quicker than it should be. God saves instantly, but sometimes when we're removing idols and get ridding of our sin, it takes up to process. And God gives you grace in that process. Because they're saying they were in the temple and they were moving it, but it took time. And you're going to grow as you continue to trust God moving forward. And so verse 18 says, Then they went in to Hezekiah and the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of the burnt offerings and all its utensils and the table for the showbread and all its utensils. You start to get it. This is a big deal. Worship is a sacrifice. All the utensils that King Ahaz, that was his father, disregarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Let's not forget that Hezekiah was not alone in this worship and this revival at this time. These Levites and these priests played a huge role in going into the temple, doing their role and responsibility. Hezekiah was a king. They were priests, Levites. They all had a part to play. And I think this is really important, especially as leadership is such a big deal in our culture today. 
We always elevate the one guy or the person speaking or the leader, and we forget it's actually being a part of a team that there's great strength. That leadership, if you have a leader with no followers, that's not good leadership. There's many parts of the body, the Bible says, and we don't esteem one or the other. And so don't feel left out if you're like, well, I don't have the gift of leadership. You have other gifts. God, by his grace, has given gifts to the body to manifest and edify and build one another up. And we all have a part to play. And Hezekiah, although we look at his leadership in this text and through this case study, a lot of people were repenting. And they had an opportunity to serve the Lord. And Hezekiah was a part of a team. This is important because Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We were not made to be alone, even when we set up the church for elders to lead. It's a team approach. And by the grace of God, Hezekiah's leadership was now rallying others to get involved. And this is good leadership, to be a part of a team, to say we are better together. In fact, this week's reading, uh, I included Proverbs 25 and 29, or through 29, which I know that sometimes it seems a little random, like why in the world would we read Proverbs 25 through 29? Well, if you started to read it in verse 1 of chapter 25, it says, There also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So it shows that there were other godly men around Hezekiah at this time doing a great work. And I'm telling you, anytime the kingdom of God advances, he may work and have a leader like Paul, but even Paul the apostle had a great team around him. We are better together, the body of Christ doing it together. And so godly leadership, you have to see that needs to be a part of a team and they need to recognize and understand that there are multiple people that God wants to use. It's just not about one person. But in order to be a part of a team, a leader really needs humility. And Hezekiah displays this in verses 20 through 24. Let's read the next section. Then Hezekiah, verse 20, the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. So now we see this team going up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priest, the son of Aaron, to offer them to, on the altar of the Lord. So he slaughtered the bulls, and the priest received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priest slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all of Israel. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and sin offering should be made for Israel. In these verses, we see Hezekiah offer up a few offerings, the burnt offering and the sin offering unto the Lord for himself and for the nation. This was to make atonement for the nation and for their sin. Hezekiah realized in this moment as he was moving forward that neither him or the nation were perfect. And they needed to have their sins forgiven. And Hezekiah was humble because he realized that he had a right recognition of himself and of God. And so you see, as he's throwing the blood on the altar, he's saying, God, I need you. I need you. We need you. And he's saying the first thing we want to do is say, God, we need you to be a part of our team. We want you to lead us. We can't appease our own sin, God. We need you 
to take care of it. We can't just ignore this. And he repented as a leader and turned to God for help and forgiveness. This shows that godly leaders need humility. We need to be humble. And we need to restate this as a leadership quality, don't we? This is a very important aspect of leadership, and we find in Jesus, humble service, having a right recognition of who you are, asking for help, repenting. This is a part of godly leadership and a virtue, what the Bible says. But in the world system, they say, well, make yourself prideful esteem. Say you have everything together. But if you're a Christian and you're a worshiper of God, you don't have everything together. You need to repent just like everyone else. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to do the work. But God says it's important because Psalm 25, 9 says he leads the humble in what is right and he teaches the humble his way. And through humility, you actually get the power and presence of God. And this is what he's doing in that time, sacrificing these animals, saying, God, forgive me. We need your help. And he was doing this because scripture had commanded it. God had told them a way to worship. And that's the next thing we see as we read the text. Godly leaders obey scripture. They obey scripture of what God says. Look at verse 25 through 30. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and with harps and lyres. There's a response to having your sins forgiven. It's about to be praised. According to the commandment of God and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet, for the commandment was from the Lord through the prophets. Why was he doing this? Because the prophets had said, this is how you worship. This is how you repent. This is what scripture said. God reveals to us what is pure and undefiled worship, that we should worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't just do our own thing. Yes, there was shedding of blood. Yes, it was weird. Yes, it was all to point us to Jesus so that we would be saved by grace and faith alone. And so this is very important that we actually obey the way we're told to worship. So he was obeying and doing this for scripture and the prophets were saying, and it says in verse 26, the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest of the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offerings be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song to the Lord began also. And the trumpets accompanied with the instruments of King David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshiped and singers sang and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offerings were finished. And when the offerings were, was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. And verse 30, it says, And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. You know, those are psalms. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down, and they worshiped. Remember, we're getting a bigger definition of what worship is, and worship is obeying the word of God. It is obeying scripture. What we see is the people are singing, they're praising, they're bowing down before the Lord, and it is the result that they get in their heart is gladness. Gladness. But the reason why Hezekiah did this and received gladness, or blessing, you may say, is because that verse in 25 says, according to the commands of David through the direction of the prophets. He was obeying scripture so that the people experienced gladness. When you obey scripture in your life, you will experience blessing and gladness. So there's rejoicing, there's praying, there, there's praising, there's, there's a continual 
blessing that God is pouring out of them. And listen, we need leaders that are obeying scripture and walking with God and his wisdom. Psalm 128, one through two says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands and you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. As you obey scripture, as leaders lead in this way, or what the text says in that Kings, as leaders do what is right in the eyes of the Lord and trust him, not only will they be blessed, their followers will be blessed, the nations will be blessed. And we need godly leaders right now in our nation and our churches that do the same thing. The next thing we see Hezekiah do is tell the people to bring sacrifices to the Lord. This is important because godly leaders give glory to God. If you're a godly leader, you need to give glory to God. Verse 31 through 36, the rest of this chapter says, then Hezekiah said, so he speaks there's a great celebration. There's, there's, think about it, though. Like a whole nation is rejoicing. There's gladness. And this is the time that Hezekiah speaks and pours in and could say anything he wants. He's the king. He says, you, now, you, ha- you have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord, to his kingdom, his nation, his glory. Come near, bring sacrifices, fast sacrifices, and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all who were a willing uh, heart brought burnt offerings. The number of the burnt offerings that assembled was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were for burnt offerings to the Lord. Now remember, these burnt offerings, these animals, is like an economy of money, riches. They're giving offerings and sacrifices unto the Lord, thanking him for doing this great work. And Hezekiah says, thank God. And the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls, verse 33, and 3,000 sheep. Just FYI, I love that we're all looking at our Bible so much tonight. Don't you? It's just so great. As you see, heads down, we're reading. It's amazing. All right, verse 34 says, But the priests were too few and could not flay the burnt offerings. So until the other priests were consecrated themselves, their brothers and the Levites helped them until the work was finished. There was such a great offering that there weren't people that had set aside. This is just a brand new nation. It's just going and there's straight revival. For the Levites were more upright in the heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, verse 35, there was the fat of the peace offerings. And then there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people. God had provided for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. I love that, that God could do things suddenly, immediately, that there is this act and this revival and this worship and God is using someone like Hezekiah, who is a 25-year-old young leader, and in God's grace, he just says, I'm going to do something amazing right now because this man trusts me. He does use our faith, and he honors our faith, and it was through Hezekiah, but it's important to note that Hezekiah gave credit to God. It was through Hezekiah, but Hezekiah gave credit to God, not his great skill, not his position or leadership. Remember, this is the time where everyone is rejoicing. It's going off. And this is what Hezekiah says, bring your thanks to God. How many leaders, when it goes good, say, look what I've done. Look at me. This is a bring your offerings to me. I paid my due. Why don't you guys all look at me and give me credibility? And, and this, is, this is the beginning of his reign and his, his leadership. And he needed to establish himself. So people would follow him, and he says, no, no, it's never about me. I'm a worshiper of God, and so out of that, I want you to give glory to God. I want you to praise my God. 
Hezekiah told the people to make sacrifices to the Lord and pointed people to God, not himself. This is a powerful thing of godly leadership. It would have been so easy to say, I'm the man, to take credit. But yet he tells people to praise God. This is something that godly leadership must do, especially in this culture of celebrity leadership, pastors, mavericks, people that are just all about themselves. We should not take the glory from God. Isaiah 42, a prophet at that time would warn Hezekiah in the leadership. 42.8 says, I will share my glory with no one. And he would take people out when they did that. He'll take us out when we do that. Now, we still have a whole more chapter to do. Godly leaders, they walk in righteousness. And what I mean by this is they do the right thing even though it is hard. Look at verses one through three and let's see how Hezekiah does this as the story progresses, as the details keep on coming in. They're flooding in with worship. We've talked about what worship is. You're getting an insight of that. We're focusing right now on the lens of leadership and the people celebrate Passover. Passover. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah in verse one and wrote letters to the Ephraim, Messiah, and that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lamb, the God of Israel. Don't quote me for these countries or these names. Thank you very much. I may say them differently every time I read them. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had they people assembled in Jerusalem. Was it their fault? No, there was straight revival coming out. No one was expecting this. We just saw that last chapter. They were just overwhelmed. They're just trying to just please God and do whatever they can. And so they're cleaning the house the first month. Now it's the second month. And so in verse four, it says, and the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembled, the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord and the God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not kept it as often as prescribed. It was prescribed that they would do this ceremony, this worship, every year at a certain amount of time at a certain place. So the couriers, those people that went out and sent the message, went through all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes as the king had commanded, saying, this is what they wanted to express to the people, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, repent, go to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God and their fathers. So remember, you can make a decision if you're going to worship or not, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. Bow down to him, come to his sanctuary which he has consecrated forever and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion. This is verse nine, a result of turning, of yielding, of repenting to the Lord, following him. If you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors. Return to this land for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. Amen. Praise God for that and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Well, it's said it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. It's never the wrong, it's never the, the wrong time to do the right thing. Hezekiah invites the people to repent, to turn to the Lord, to walk in righteousness and worship 
God Almighty. And he does this through a ceremony called the Passover. It's a celebration of how God freed his people from Egypt. The story, and I gave you a couple of scriptures to read this week, you can find in Exodus 12, Numbers chapter 9, about how it was going about and how God freed his people and told them to remember that he is a God greater than any other God. Remember they had this idol problem? In Egypt, God trumped all the idols of Egypt. And said, I am greater, I am better, I am more loving, I am gracious, merciful. And it's this beautiful picture of how Jesus, through his sacrifice, frees us and is the greatest God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Just as the lamb was covered over the doorpost back in Israel and people that were underneath the blood, putting their faith in God and obedience of that were saved, so too with us, as we are covered by Jesus' blood, by faith we are saved. And so we read about this Passover over and over again, starting in Exodus chapter 12, throughout all the Psalms, throughout all the scripture. It's one of those things that God always points back to. Hey, remember grace, remember grace, remember grace. Even in the new covenant, he says, as a church, when you come together, remember grace. Remember my blood being shed. Remember you're saved by faith. Remember I'm a God of love. Remember I'm merciful. And he says, I want a system in place so you remember. Because he does not change, but we forget that he is merciful and gracious. Because when we blow, we get so overwhelmed by our own sin, but God says there is great grace for our sin. Remember that I am God. Worship me. And God wanted his people to remember and celebrate that as a nation. And Passover in chapter 9, he instituted that through Moses and said, you guys do this as a nation so you can be free and know that I am God and have that mercy and grace flow from your life. The only problem was they weren't doing that. They we're forgetting about God's grace. And when we all forget about God's mercy and grace, we take on the God of our own lives. We try to put forth our best effort, and we fail and fall into condemnation, and there's great consequences for that. And so they repent the first month, but in Numbers 9, chapter 3, it says the appointed time to celebrate the Passover was the first month of the year. So they missed it. They blew it. They were walking obedience, and when they tried, they even fell short in their own effort. But God in his grace knew that we would try over and over again and fell in our own mercy, in our own efforts and need his mercy. And if you go on in Numbers chapter 9, he would give provision and grace and mercy for that and say, listen, if you miss the appointed time, today is the day of salvation. Come to me now. And so... In Numbers 9, 5 through 14, you can actually keep the Passover if there was war, if there was sin, if these were these things, and turn to God at any moment. Aren't you glad that God says you could turn to him at any moment? Even when you know it's right, you blow it, and God's still like, but yet you still can come to me. And he's telling this nation to do that. And Hezekiah reminds them of this and gives an open invitation to the nation and says, this is our God, Come. Repent, come, worship, praise him. Even though the nation hadn't celebrated Passover in a long time, he decided to. So this would be a, a, like doing a big, big, big event for millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people that you haven't done in a long time. It would take a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of resources. But godly leaders always do the right thing and walk in righteousness, even if it's hard. And so he says, we're going to do this, even though we're behind, we may not have the resources, we've got to consecrate more people. You're going to see the, the Levites are ashamed because they were like, I didn't even know. Now we're repenting for this leadership and now the whole nation, all this. How are we going to do this? And Hezekiah said, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do the right thing. 
because it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And he walks in righteousness. He gives the open invitation to people. And this is the type of leadership that God blesses. People that will do the right thing, to walk in integrity. Psalm 106.3, blessed are those who observe justice and do the righteous at all times. So godly leaders walk in righteousness. But it's not all flowers. It's hard. Because in verse 10 through 12, we see him face opposition. It says those the carriers, these people that are sending out the message, went from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim, Messiah, as far as Zebulun. They, but they laughed them to scorn and mock them. They sent this message out to people in these certain villages and people in town, and these people mocked them. They laughed. They said, this is a joke. I'm not going to go spend all my time and go all to Jerusalem and worship God and do this festival. We haven't done it in so long. However, there were some men of Asher, Messiah, Zerubbabel, who humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of God. Now, we've been talking about a lot about blessings of godly leadership, but it's important to state as well as we go through the rest of this chapter and finish out that leadership is hard, that you will face opposition. There are a lot of blessings, but there's also doing the right thing is hard, and it's not all easy stuff to be a leader and to lead in the right way, is it? To do the right thing sometimes is hard, and leaders will face opposition And it's a simple point, but it's good to know that just because you will face opposition does not mean you are not a godly leader. In fact, because you are a godly leader, you will face opposition. The Bible says, do not be surprised at fiery trials. When you're walking in righteousness, when you're following God's ways, when you're worshiping, there is a spiritual warfare going on. We do have adversaries, the devil. They were mocked. They were criticized. Albert Huber said, if you fear to be criticized, say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. If you will be a leader, whether you're godly or not, you will be criticized because you're going to make some decisions. And so you need to honor God in the decisions you make. And whether people criticize you or complain, you have to do what's right in God's eyes. And you'll face opposition, and that's a part of leadership. Paul said, how can I, how can I be a leader of God's church if I fear men? I have to fear God. I have to serve him. And Hezekiah is now giving this open invitation. Some are mocking, and some are coming. That's their decision to make. Everyone isn't going to agree with you when you do something according to God's ways. But here's an amazing thing. We see Hezekiah pray for the people rather than criticize them back. Godly leaders pray for their followers. In verse 13 through 20, it says, while all these people were overseeing and assisting, actually that's chapter 31, Verse 13, and many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month. Isn't that encouraging to know that even though there will be critics and some people may complain, there was a great assembly that did follow God? There's usually always two or three people that complain. But what about the general consensus? There was revival. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem, because remember, these altars were all around, and they were false gods, and the altars for burning incense they took away and threw in the brook of Kinron. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed. 
Now, why were they ashamed? Because they had not been prepared. They weren't walking in obedience. They weren't doing the job they were supposed to do. But they were trying, but now more people are coming. And they couldn't do this offering without consecrating themselves first. So they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They took their accustomed post according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priest threw the blood that they had received from the hands of the Levites, for they were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Messiah, uh, Issachar, Zeph, Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet ate the Passover otherwise than is prescribed. Why did they do this? This is very important. Verse 18 says, For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the God, Lord, pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, and the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary rules of cleanliness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Godly leaders pray for their followers. Despite the critics, Hezekiah spurred the people on to move, and they were ashamed. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't even ready, so they didn't have enough priests, but yet you're trying to accept God's grace, and Hezekiah tells the great assembly, you can go ahead and partake. This is who our God is, and he prays for these people. And he shows them that God is a God of mercy and grace. Verse 17 through 20 tell us the Lord heard his request and they pardoned the people. You know, it's different to say that God loves you and then to actually experience God's love. And they're experiencing now the mercy of God because they were not in a position to even come before the Lord and worship and do the right thing. But by their simple mustard seed of faith and just stepping out and coming to Jerusalem, Hezekiah says, God, will you just on your character forgive? And God says, no problem. That's why I wanted you to celebrate the Passover, because I'm a God of mercy and love and grace. This is important because everyone isn't perfect. And rather than condemning people and Hezekiah and the people, he could have blamed the people and the people he were leading. Instead, he poured out grace as a leader and prayed for them. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy when people pray for me. And if you want to lead well and you want to influence well, you have to be a person that rather condemns, gives grace, and prays for people. You know, this is something that Jesus did as he was going to the cross, praying for us, the church. People that he would even crucify him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's an important aspect that we would see that we can use our words to build people up and to go to God. Godly leaders use their influence to serve people, and so I appreciate when people pray for me. And, you know, Laura and I were talking this week just about, man, the last couple weeks, Just I think it's just been really special. It's just really in tune to the Lord, and it's been different, just services longer, sporadic, missionaries, this and that. But we were saying, like, when people come to a Sunday service, they want spiritual strength. And we want to give you spiritual strength. I love talking. Last week I was able to hear such sweet stories from people in the church. And, you know, after service, we want to be available here and want you to come up. And if you need prayer, we want to pray with you. We don't want to be, we don't want to be rude and say, you know, like, um, you know, because sometimes we can get in so conversations. We want to make ourselves available. Robin, uh, me, Laura, people at this time in service, because what ends up happening is we have so many dual roles and we love you guys and hanging out and being friends, but don't forget 
Our role as leadership here is to give you spiritual strength, strength, is to pray for you, is to point you to the Lord. And if you need special prayer, you need to get my number, you need to come and, and let me know, and we need to be praying for you. You're just today going to visit someone in the church, praying, anointing them with oil, being with them, giving them spiritual strength. I want you to expect to get spiritually strong in this church. And as leadership and those that lead in this church, we want to make ourselves available to pray for you to give you that strength, to give you advice, to answer questions, to walk alongside of you because we know that you need encouragement. And as we read and finish out this chapter, we see Hezekiah not only pray, but he uses his words to give encouragement to the people, to speak words of life, to help, to serve, to show his appreciation. Look at verses 21 through 22. After he prayed and the Lord heard, it said, And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's another way for the Passover for seven days with great gladness, because there's always gladness when you obey God's word. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites. These guys that were serving, that were laboring, that were pointing people to God, he spoke encouragement to them and showed, uh, who showed good skill in the service of the Lord. So they ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You can do a lot of good with just simply your words. Bible says you could do a lot of bad as well. But godly leaders, they spark words of life and encouragement. And you know one thing I think that godly leaders do and they use your words? They say thank you. They're appreciative of people serving alongside. They, they came, he came alongside the Levites, who literally, we just read, felt ashamed because they were unprepared, but yet they were trying their best. And he came along and said, I just, man, I'm just wanting giving you encouragingly words to say you did something with the skill and what you're doing and you're trying, and he just built them up. Aren't great, don't godly great leaders build you up in the Lord? Listen, not making an excuse for how you lack, but saying, listen, you're trying. We're doing it together. We're going for it. We're serving God. You did, you did such a good job. I need you. We're a part of this team. This is amazing. Yes, we're to pray for others, but it's okay to open your mouth and say, I'm praying for you. And to actually give specific words of life and encouragement and to speak, to pour into people that you have influence over. We see Hezekiah was generous with his words, with prayer, with encouragement. And lastly, I didn't want to say this because I knew you'd be freaked out. This is the 10th principle. Two chapters. I can't even remember the last time I did two chapters, but it is glorious. Okay, the 10th principle, godly leaders are generous. I'm just trying to get these points from Scripture so you can see how Hezekiah led because he was a good example, 23 and 24. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. Man, they are glad. They are praising the Lord. This is their worship, and they want more of it. They're like, let's just keep going. Sure, let's do it. You actually see this in Scripture. Other nations and other times would keep the feast, the unleavened bread, the Passover. They'd have such a good time. they said, let's keep going. So they kept it for another seven days. Can you imagine if you had just the best time on a vacation? You look at your wife and you say, let's stay another seven days. That's amazing. You know, Jesus says he came to give an abundant life. 
a more full life. It's not just like a great life. It's like an abundant, abundant life. It's like blessing upon blessing. And so they get another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls, 7,000 sheep for offering. And the princes gave an assembly a thousand bulls and the thousand, 10,000 sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. And the whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites, the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel, the sojourners who lived in Judah, rejoiced. Godly leaders are generous. Listen, the people were having such a good time, they extend their celebration. However, if you think about the logistics, the practical side, how would all these thousands of people eat? Where would they get more resources? Oh, extend your day for seven days. Well, you know, okay, great. Who's going to pay for it? Hezekiah says, I am. He gives a thousand bulls, 7,000 sheep. You remember when there was that great offering amongst the people? It wasn't even this much. He gave even more than all the people put together. And then his princes, the people that follow him in leadership, they follow with another thousand bulls, with 10,000 sheep. And because Hezekiah was so generous, so the people could continue praising the Lord and celebrating, that was the great reward. As leaders are generous to people, people are blessed and they worship the Lord. I was thinking about proclaimed church this morning. Pastor Will did a church planning internship with us. We launched him out and his faithfulness, he just merged with uh, Advent and Boca Advent really has a heart ministry to do ministry in Lake Worth, Antana, Boynton Beach, and they're partnering and teaming up. They're serving hundreds of people and families a week and doing all this great ministry. And because of Boca Advent's congregation and their humility and their service, they're able to go and give Proclaim Church a building to use, ministry to serve. All this stuff is flowing because of the generosity of people saying, we just want to give God the glory. Think about Hezekiah. He just wanted to keep on praising God. And he said, well, just I'm going to provide that resource. You know, when we're generous, God is honored, but God uses our generosity to really bless a lot of people in this life. It is so encouraging to see your leaders be generous. And so to sum it up in verse 26 and 27, you see godly leaders that glorify God and bless people. The result of this kind of godly leadership is summed up in this. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. I love this. I think most people love this. Godly leadership and the result of having following godly leadership or being a godly leader is great joy and blessing. Because of Hezekiah's godly attributes and leadership, there was great joy and blessing. And these principles are not only for him, but they're for us today as well. As we lead as we submit, as we are a part of a team, when we follow these principles, the results will be great joy and great blessing. And the crazy thing about these principles, they're not super hard or complicated. These are simple, like, really, that's it? You follow the Bible? That's what makes you a godly leader? You worship? Yes, that's it. You worship God. We saw Hezekiah be a part of a team. 
Walk in humility. Obey scripture. You give glory to God. Walk in righteousness. Understand you'll face opposition. Pray for your followers. Speak words of encouragement and be generous. These are like no-brainers and common sense, things we can say amen to. But why do we take so long tonight to go over them? Because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy and deceive us and not follow biblical principles but the things of the flesh and to not do these things. Simple acts of obedience, simple worshiping of God. Hezekiah was a worshiper and out of his leadership flowed. And we see that our great leader, Jesus, did all of these wonderful truths as we worship him tonight. You know, he submitted to the Father. He worshiped God. He was a part of this triune God that submitted to the will of God, humbling himself, becoming a man, and living a perfect life of obedience to Scripture. I didn't come to abolish the law and prophets. I came to fulfill it. Why did he do that? So he could restore and redeem, point others to the Lord. Even though it would be hard, he walked in righteousness. So much toe to the shedding of his own blood. Yes, he faced opposition, betrayal, mockery. He went to the cross. And he went willingly. And on his way to the cross, in John 17, he would pray for his leader, for his followers. He would pray for others. He gave them words of encouragement. Peace, I, leave. I say these things so you would have peace. He was generous to them to the point of shedding his own blood so that God would be glorified and that we would be blessed. It's pretty easy to see that these are godly attributes and why we worship Jesus. Because as we follow Jesus as our great leader, we receive great joy and blessing. Why? Because he's a godly leader. Fully God, fully man. God glorified him and raised him up from the dead, giving him the name above all names that we would worship him as king and say, follow my son, Jesus. And so we're gonna close with that. Singing a song, worshiping the Lord and remembering his grace. We're not taking the Passover celebration, but we're gonna take communion so we can remember that our God is a God of mercy and of grace, the great King Jesus. Praise God that we see Hezekiah do these things, but we don't worship Hezekiah and submit to him. We worship Jesus as our Lord, and Jesus is the great godly leader worth following, and as we do, man, we surely are blessed as we receive salvation in him. So we'll pray, and then we'll close with just taking the elements there at the aisle, and this is a thing we do to remember God's grace, that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed, and, and we need his grace. The Bible says he pours out his grace to those that are humble. So when you humble yourself and receive him, the Bible says you are saved. If you are not a Christian or not received him yet, the Bible says you can go to him. He will cast none away. And you could know this great leader, your God, and he'll walk with you for all eternity, not right only now, but for all eternity. So God, we thank you so much that we see these traits in Hezekiah. Lord, but we see these traits in you. For you are one without sin and lived a perfect life that we cannot live. And so we humbly come to you right now. We celebrate you, Lord, as we take communion together, as we just come humbly. We're learning a lot. And Lord, it is a lot. To take this much scripture could be overwhelming. But yet you're such a big and good, mighty God. We need to take time to be in your presence, to take it all in. And so, Lord, as we close this service, we want to just say thank you. Thank you for leading us.
to right relationship with God our Father, for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you, God, that you're coming back, that you're a faithful God. Thank you for forgiving our sins, empowering us with your spirit. We want to remember your grace and mercy. And so as we partake in communion and celebrate you, Lord, our great lamb, the lamb of God that shed his blood for our sins, we elevate you and exalt you and just magnify your name. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. And may you continue to teach us what it means to follow you, Lord. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.